book of Judges, chapter 16. I want to begin reading at verse 4. Judges chapter 16, beginning at verse 4. I'll read verses 4 through the end of verse 20, a long text this morning. After this, he, that would be Samson, after this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sarek whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that they had not, that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak like, and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with a pen, then I shall become weak and become like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. And she made them tight with a pen and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pen, the loom, and the web. And she said to him, How can you say you, I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. This is God's word. Heavenly Father, by your spirit, would you help us this morning 
to see something in the biography of Delilah that would wake us up. For we are people who are prone to become far too cozy with the world. And we need to see something this morning in such a way that it would stir us and wake us unto a fresh commitment to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Some of you possibly have heard of a man by the name of David Brainerd. If you have not, write that name down, David Brainerd, and treat yourself to reading about a man who was a missionary to Indians up in the northeastern part of the United States during the 1700s. David Brainerd kept diaries. He kept track of the ups and the downs of ministry and life. And he had them. He had ups. And it seems like he had more downs than ups. Because after much difficulty and what he considered to be very little success, David Brainerd died of tuberculosis at the young age of 29. Jonathan Edwards, another person that you should know about. Jonathan Edwards took the diaries of David Brainerd and he published them as a biography, which he named Life of Brainerd. And it's still available in print today. That biography, The Life of Brainerd, had an incalculable impact upon the church and the cause for missions. In other words, that biography was like a match set to a stack of dry hay. Were it not for that biography, we would probably never know about people like Henry Martin, William Carey. Henry Martin, a missionary to India, brought the gospel to India. William Carey, Jim Elliot in the 20th century. These are names that we really should know, but we wouldn't know them were it not for the life of Brainerd. Life of Brainerd was a biography that served as a wake-up call. And man, do we need a wake-up call. We are in a brief series entitled The Life and Times Of. And last week we looked at the life and times of Cain. Today we look at the life and times of Delilah. It is a biography, as you will see, it is a biography, though brief, it is a biography that should serve as a wake-up call for you and I. But before we get to the biography of Delilah, we got to ask this question, why is this story in the Bible? Why is the story of Samson and Delilah in the Bible? Because it does not make Samson nor Delilah, either one, look good. In fact, they look very bad. And you, you might want to ask, you know, why, does, why does God preserve stories like this in the Bible for us? You'd think, you'd think that if this was God-inspired, that he might choose to leave out some of these ugly stories. But he doesn't. They're in there for a reason. But why? Why is this story in the Bible? And I think the answer to that question is just as interesting as the details of the story. So that's what I want to focus on for just a few minutes. Why is this story in the Bible? Once you understand that, 
it's like the light goes off, okay? Now, in order to answer that question, we have to answer this question first. Who is the book of Judges written to? Hopefully you have your Bible open, book of Judges. And just ask yourself, I wonder who this was written to originally. In other words, this had an original audience. Because you might be thinking, well, it was written to me. It was written to the church. It certainly has that residual effect. In fact, every generation benefits from all of the Bible. But all of the Bible had an original audience. Who was the original audience of the book of Judges? And the answer is God's ancient people, Israel. Now, why is that important? Well, you see, under the leadership of Moses, you remember Moses, right? Under the leadership of Moses and then after Moses, Joshua, a generation of people experienced God's deliverance from the bondage of Egypt. If you've been in Sunday school or you've been in church any time at all, you will know the story of the Exodus. The outstanding, miraculous power of God delivering a nobody people out of the bondage of Egypt. Then providing his providential care for them in the wilderness as they traveled. And then his power in giving them the land of Canaan to live in. It's an amazing story. But after Joshua's death, As soon as that generation passed off the scene, the coming generation abandoned the Lord. In other words, that that generation that experienced the mighty works of God firsthand, they, they died, a new generation come along who did not know the Lord. And so they abandoned the Lord. And all throughout The book of Judges, you will find sprinkled in this statement, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. In other words, people were no longer living by the dictates of the Lord. They began to say, I'm going to call the shots. I'm going to live the way I want to live. And this led to one of the darkest periods in the history of God's ancient people recorded in the book of Judges. If you've never read the book of Judges, it is a very dark, ugly book the Bible. Throughout the book of Judges, you will find people, the people of God, finally coming to an end of themselves, crying out to God and saying, deliver us, help us. And God in his great mercy would raise up a deliverer or a judge. And Samson was one of those judges. Now keep in mind, Samson has been called of God to be a deliverer, a blessing to the people of God come and serve them. He has an outstanding call of God. What a privilege. What a blessing. So why then is the story of Samson and Delilah preserved in the Bible? Once you know the answer to this, I think things get a bit clearer. Why? And I, I must credit a man by the name of Dave, Dale Ralph Davis for his insightful answer as to why this story is in the Bible, as ugly as it is. This story is in the Bible, one, because Samson was intended as a mirror for Israel. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, I know you did, we all did. We stood in front of a mirror this morning before we came to church, probably, either to shave, get our hair ready, brush our teeth, and just kind of check and say, you know, I want to see what I really look like, okay? Good or bad, okay? 
Samson, the life of Samson was like a mirror that God was forcing Israel to look into. In Samson, Israel was to see herself. Now listen, listen. Here's why. Think about it. Samson was raised up out of nothing. He's just an average person. He wasn't special in any way until God got involved in his life. Samson was raised up out of nothing. He was richly gifted by God. He was called of God. Had this mission and calling from God. Blessings of God upon him. Yet, when you read the life of Samson, you find him pandering around with other lovers, yet always expecting to have God at his disposal. Think about that. In other words, he was called of God, richly blessed of God, had a mission from God. It's clear. But we find him constantly pandering to other loves, other idols, but always thinking, I've got God. He's on my side. God's with me. In much the same way, now listen, in much the same way, Israel too was raised out of nothing. When you go back and read in the early parts of the Bible, you find that the nation of Israel was a nothing nation. They were the smallest among all peoples. Yet God set his love on them. In his grace, he set his love on them. And he raised them up. He raised them out of nothing and he richly gifted them. Yet what did they do? In spite of God's great blessings upon them, what did they do? They persistently turned away from God and carried on affairs with other idols while assuming, listen, while assuming all is well and that God is always at our disposal. You see? See, Israel had done these things and and, and God used the life of Samson to wake them up to help them to see what they had done with God's grace and giftedness. Well, you say, okay, well, okay, that's fine. Why should that matter to me? It's because there's a lesson here for the church as well. There's a lesson here for the church as well. But but before we get to that, we have to talk about Delilah, though. we, We hopefully understand about Samson. Samson is a mirror for Israel, God's people, to look into see their failures, see their ugly flaws, see what they've done with the grace that God has given them. But what about Delilah? If Samson is a mirror for Israel to look into, where does Delilah fit into all of this story? And it's somewhat, we're, we're a little disadvantaged. We don't have a lot of information about Delilah. We don't know, you know, about her birth. We don't know about her death. All we have is some scant information here in chapter 16. What do we know about Delilah? We know this. She was a woman that Samson loved. We'll come back to that in a minute. It's really important. She was just a woman in the valley of Sarek that Samson loved. Also, we find this about Delilah. The Philistines, who were an enemy of Samson, by the way, went to Delilah and said, seduce Samson. We will pay you. We will pay you richly seduce him. And we know this, without hesitation, Delilah goes about her task. And here's where it really gets strange. Though Samson should have been aware of her intent. I mean, when you read this story, you, you, you find yourself going, Samson, wake up. Can't you see what's going on here? He's either overconfident in his cleverness, and thereby ignores Delilah's deceptions, or 
He's just oblivious and blinded by love. Remember, he, he loved her. So we don't know why that Samson doesn't wake up here, but it's clear Delilah has enticed Samson to the point in our story that he has one foot in and one foot out. It's like you see, you see Samson, and he's like, he's kind of in the camp of Delilah, but not fully. One foot in, one foot out. But listen, that will not do for Delilah. Oh, no. She's not satisfied with one foot in and one foot out. We know she wants 100% devotion. Look at verse 15. You'll see it. Verse 15, she says these really interesting words. How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? Are you just messing around with me, Samson? You got one foot in and one foot out. You say you love me, but I, I see your heart's not really with me. That's interesting language. That's really, if you, if you know your Bible, that's basically what God said to his ancient people Israel in the book of Isaiah. You praise me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. So Delilah was not going to be content with a person having one foot here and one foot here. No, she wanted nothing less than 100% devotion. But you see, that presents a bit of a problem for Samson. Because you remember, he's been called by God. He's been called by God. He has a mission from God. And God has called him to 100% devotion to him. So Samson has a bit of a problem here. Where is he going to plant his feet? Because he can't, he can't keep straddling forever. He's going to have to put both feet somewhere. And that's where this story really turns bad. Because you watch painfully as we see Samson's other foot come over to Delilah's camp. And Delilah closes the trap and she begins to torment him and renders him useless. So, let's catch up here. If Samson is a mirror for Israel to look into, to see themselves, to see their spiritual adultery and their waywardness, what might Delilah represent in this story? And I want to suggest to you, could it be that Delilah is a good representation here of what the New Testament speaks of as the world? the world. I've been told by people that certain parts of the world, you may go on vacation. And I remember one person told me they went to a resort. And when they got there, the management gave them a map and said, we want to show you where it's safe and where it's dangerous. And on this map, it's like a two mile radius in the color red this is often the case, folks. Listen, this is often the case for traveling outside of this country. There's a safe area where the management said, look, we can provide what will be reasonable security and safety in this area. But when you go outside of that area, we just need for you to know it's dangerous. We're just warning you. You, you can go, but you need to be careful. It's dangerous. What? warnings do we, the church, receive regarding the world? If Delilah, if her biography, if it is actually a good representation of what the New Testament might call the world, the danger of the world, 
What warnings do we receive from God's word regarding the world? And the first one you'll see is this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride and passions or possessions, is not from the Father but is from the world. The first thing we're told, one of the first things we're told in the scriptures to Christians, to the church, it's like John is handing us a map and saying, look, I want to show you where the danger is at. Love, not the world. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that we can't go to the Grand Canyon and love it? Does that mean we can't go to Niagara Falls and love it? No. No, no, we we can go there and enjoy God's great creation and give him the praise and the glory for it. Loving the world is something different. Loving the world is not meaning loving the material world. It means love not the world system, the world system of humanity that is in rebellion against God. And surely you see this, don't you? See in the music, the entertainment, but, but in so many different layers. There, there is a, there's a world system that you and I live in. We live in this world. There's a world system that is anti-God, anti-Christ, in rebellion against God. When you woke up this morning, the newspaper was all about justified. That's the horse that won the Belmont Stakes. And it's a triple crown winner. Everybody's goo-goo over justified. Great horse. But you'll never wake up in this world. Front page headline, Courier Journal, God is good, let's give him glory. Won't happen. Love not the world. And if this was not a present danger, we would not be warned about it so often. I want you to notice something here. Samson loved Delilah, but nowhere do we find that Delilah loved Samson. That's important. Oh, Samson loved Delilah. I mean, he was, he was blinded by love. He couldn't see anything but for loving her. Yet Delilah didn't love Samson. And in fact, the evidence shows that she hated him. Now listen, if Delilah is a good representation of what the New Testament calls the world, you can love the world but the world not love you. And in fact, Jesus said this, don't be surprised that the world hates you because they hated me. Listen, if you're here today and you're serious about walking with Jesus, and look, if you're not serious about walking with Jesus, you keep one foot in, one foot out. You just keep on doing that, okay? But you'll find, you'll find that before it's over with, both feet will be in the world's camp. If you're not serious about walking with Jesus, then this is no big deal to you. But if you're serious about walking with Jesus, understand this. The world system hates you because they hate the one you follow. They hate the one whom you have allegiance to. Understand that. So when you love the world, you are loving something that hates you and will not love you back. Also, Just as Delilah, what was her mission? Seduce Samson. 
Just as Delilah seduced Samson, the world is a seductress. You see that in these verses. It it says, for all that is in the world. What John means by that is, I want to show you the seductive power of the world. The world is a seductive animal. It lures It teases, it coddles, it coaxes until it gets what it wants. The world makes sweet promises that stroke our egos and tantalize our passions, our desires. And what comes from the world does not come from the Father. Beware of the offerings of the here and now from the world. See, that's one of the things about the world. It's always about the here and the now. You come to church, you hear the word of God, and it talks about the promises of God and us living in the now and the not yet. And, 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 and what so often is the world, the world will say, yeah, but you can have this now, now, the here and now. What's always important to the world is the here and the now. Beware of the offerings of the here and now from the world. You say, look, preacher, you got nothing to worry about. You're getting all worked up, all heated up about nothing. But wait a minute here. Look at Samson. I mean, most of us wonder, how in the world could he be so gullible? How in the world could he be so naive? How in the world could he be so foolish? Couldn't he see this? It reminded me of a story by John Hunter. He was in a small country village in Scotland. He said, I had passed, I happened to pass by the place where animals were slaughtered for meat. I saw a small corral in which were a dozen hogs. I saw the man coming to kill these animals, and I wondered what on earth he would do. How could he capture them? For there were 12 of them, and they were all loose. Oh, but it was way too easy. He carried a bucket in which were some handfuls of tasty food and nuts, such as hogs and joy. First, he threw a few of these nuts into the corral, and there were squeals of delight from the victims. Then he opened the gate and walked away, dropping a nut ever so often. How those hogs enjoyed it. They scampered along behind him, heedless of where he was leading them. He used no whip or compelling force. They followed him of their own free will. I watched them disappear through an open door which was closed behind them. They had danced their way to death. And so it was with Samson. Delilah simply rattled the little bucket, you see. No, no coercion, no force, just rattled the bucket. And here he came. And friend, that's the danger for us. <laughs> this week, you're going to hear the rattling of the bucket. Little nut here, little nut here. Before you know it, we can be more in love with the world than ever before. Secondly, nor we are not to love the world, but neither this. We are not to have friendship with the world. Notice this in James chapter 4. We're warned, you adulterous people. That's a pretty strong statement to church people, to Christian people. And see, but that's the only right word. When, we're, when we do like Samson did and we go whoring after other gods, whoring around with the world, that's the right word. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, here's where you need to stop and remember something in this story. You remember, Samson straddled the fence. Well, first, he would never, he, I'm, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to divulge this. I'm not going to give up my secrets. I'm on a mission from God here, you know. But he still loves her. 
So he's cozying up to her. He's got one foot in, but keeps one foot out. But you remember, Delilah demanded 100% devotion. But so did God. What's it going to be? What's it going to be for Samson? What's it going to be for you? What's it going to be for you? Because as we look at this, this, this is what God is, is saying to us by his spirit. What's it going to be for you? And, and you see, here's where we have a little problem. I don't, preacher, don't worry about me being friends with the world. Don't worry about that. But look, do you know what that means? Do you know what that means? So you think you do because you have Facebook friends. I've got 800 Facebook friends. No, you don't. You've you got, you got Facebook people. <laughs> Maybe a small little fragment of friends, but listen, today we speak so casually of friendship and friends. But in biblical times, and this is why this is so important that you hear this, in James chapter 4 where it says, don't have friendship with the world. In biblical times, friendship involved sharing all things in a unity, both spiritual and physical. In other words, when James says, Don't have friendship with the world. It means don't be 100% engrossed in the world. It's not some casual thing. See, this is is exactly what the world demands, though. And that's why Jesus warned in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, you'll see this, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Listen, don't you sit here today and think, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, and I love Jesus, and I'm good, I'm good, don't worry, don't worry. And you got your, you think, I got my foot right here. But see, where's your other foot? Where's your other foot? Because let me tell you, you can't serve two masters. Jesus made that very clear. And the the hard reality is here, you're going to love one, hate the other. It's not you're going to love both of them a little bit. You're going to love one, hate the other. The danger, the danger is this this week. We may not overtly disclaim God. I doubt any of us are going to get up Monday morning and go, that's it, done with God, done. I disclaim you, done with you. No, it won't be that way. It won't be that way. The seduction will be this. We will imitate the world in such a way that it shows our allegiance is more to the world than to God, and we're rendered useless. That's the danger. The danger is not, say, I'm done with God. No, no. It's just very gradually drifting, imitating taking up the things of this world, imbibing them, breathing them in, taking them in, and it will show our allegiance is more to the world than to our Lord. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Let's let's take a turn for home. We are to do this. We are to be salt and light in the world. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Okay. Now, here's, you need to listen carefully because this, from here on out, this is where we really can mess up if we're not careful. You say, okay, we must not love the world nor have friendship with the world. Pretty sure that's what you've said. That's what the scriptures say. So, as a believer, what is my relationship with the world to be? Remember, the world is speaking of the world system, okay? Uh, What is the Christian's relationship with the world to look like? And and, and remember this, it it is a tension, okay? It's tension. Holding this and holding this at the same time and keeping it tight, okay? Here's what you have to hold in tension. We are, you know this phrase, we are 
in the world, right? But we are not of the world. You have to hold both of those as a Christian intention. I'm in the world. Here's, here's, listen, here's what the church has done most often throughout the years. Can't love the world, can't be a friendship with the world, so therefore won't have anything to do with the world. I'm going to get me a Christian beautician. I'm going to get me a Christian mechanic. I'm going to get me a Christian jeweler. I'm not going to have anything to do with the world. I'm not even going to, I'm not going to participate in the world system. I'm just going to deal with Christians only. And friend, how, how are you going to be salt and light if you do that? If you, you, you kind of hover into your little cave, your little commune, and say, well, you said don't love the world, no, don't be friendship with the world. That's not at all what Jesus means. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. We have, must hold that intention because the church's worst temptation has been to relax this tension from one side or the other. And when we do, the church grows weak. So here's how we do it. We are in the world. We are in the world to be faithful to our calling to be salt and light. And if the world, if the world can compromise that, the world has succeeded. You, you, if, listen, if you're a Christian, you are called to be salt and light. That's, Jesus said you are. He, he doesn't say, hey, get up and be salt and light. He says you are, you are. If you have been born again of the Spirit of God, you are salt and light. Believe that today. Believe that your life can make a difference in the world as a believer. But it only can if you are not compromised and deluded by the world. You are in the world, but not of the world. You see, Samson's calling and mission that God had given him had been rendered useless by Delilah. And your calling and your mission to be salt and light can be rendered useless by this world. That's what Jesus said. Let me bring it to a close. He said this, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. In other words, when we compromise, when we compromise our lives by loving the world, have a friendship with the world, being conformed to this world, the world renders us useless as salt and light. So what must we do? First, I think we need to look in the mirror. Look in the mirror of Samson. Look in the mirror Delilah, let's, let's see something about it. Let's let this speak to us. Let, let's let these biographies wake us up. And we find that we've got people here. We've got Samson who says, look, I can, I, can, I can have one foot in and one foot out, but God's always with me. As it turned out, he got up, but the Lord was not with him. You say, well, that won't happen to the church. Read the letters to the churches. Read the letters to the churches. Jesus said, you can't even see that you're blind and naked and poor, wretched. We need to look in the mirror and see. Look at the life of Samson and see ourselves. But then we need to look at Delilah, look in the mirror and see that she is a good representation of the world. So what do we do? We do this. We do what it appears Samson did before he died. We repent. You read later in this story, you find that Samson, before he dies, he cries out to God. He repents. Change of heart, change of attitude. He repents. Brothers and sisters, you will confront Delilah this week. 
in the form of this world system. You will. It's inescapable. It's in the air we breathe. It's in everything we hear and see. Be not conformed to this world, but rather look to Jesus. Continue to look to Jesus. Continue to live for Jesus. Continue to walk in step with Jesus, for he has overcome the world.